0: We'll be in 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, if you have your Bibles. If not, I encourage you to grab a Bible in the pew in front of you. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Well, this past week I was reading an article uh, from a uh, news group out of Atlanta about a lady who had recently, this past summer, uh, ran a 10K race. And she had this was a national 10K race they had in Atlanta, and she had been training for years for this. In fact, uh, she was the favorite going into the race to win. And uh, as the race was nearing its conclusion, uh, she was in the lead. And nearing the last stretch, coming into the last stretch, in fact, she went from being in the lead to dropping out of the top three and I want you to think in your mind all of the things that could have gone wrong within the last straight stretch there I mean as she was coming down that straight stretch she could see the finish line I want you to think of all the things that could have gone wrong all the things that could have caused her to get out of first place when she was the favorite to win and then I'm gonna tell you what actually happened so all throughout the race as they were running if you've ever been or watched a race like this you know that oftentimes there is uh, someone leading this race who is not involved. Oftentimes it's a car, or like a moped, or a motorcycle, something like that. Well, in this race, uh, the lead runners had been, uh, they were following a police motorcycle. And the police motorcycle was there to kind of clear the way, but also to make sure they understand, or understood the direction to go. Well, nearing the end of the race, as the finish line came in sight, All of the racers at that point just had a straight stretch to the finish. I mean, you could see it clearly marked finish. But what happened was the lady who was leading the race, the one who was supposed to win, instead of looking at the finish line, she looked at the police motorcycle. And as they approached the finish line, the police motorcycle got out of the way of the finish line and veered onto a different path. And instead of going toward the finish, she followed the police motorcycle off course. And as soon as she realized what she did and turned around to get back on course, it was too late and she had already lost the race. Could you imagine training all that time? being in first place all that time, coming down to the finish and getting off course and losing because your eyes were not fixed on the finish line. You know, I think as a Christian, all of us running the Christian race, we want to finish well. Some of you today may feel like you're doing really well. Some of you may feel like you're not doing so well in this moment. But for all of us, I think the ultimate goal is to finish well. And let me say, there are plenty of distractions in this life, plenty of things that Satan wants to use to get our eyes off of that finish line and onto other things in this life that would cause us to veer off the course that God has set in front of us. And as you think about your own life, as you think about finishing well, as you think about running the Christian life, the idea of veering off course, you may be thinking in your mind, that would never be me. Like, I've, I've been following God, you may be thinking, I've been following God faithfully for 50 years. I've been a Christian my whole life, and I've never veered off course too much. That would never be me. I'm going to finish well. But listen, we have to be so careful because if we get tied up in following the wrong leader, following the wrong teacher, developing the wrong doctrines because we have the wrong idea about Scripture, all of these things and more can be things that unintentionally cause us to veer off course and unintentionally cause us to find ourselves in a place where we are not finishing well. So, this morning, I want us to ask the question. I want us to think about this. How do we remain steadfast? How do we make sure that we stay on course to continue growing in the faith and finish well? Well, this morning, I've entitled the message Faithful to the Finish How to Remain Steadfast. And there are plenty of scriptures that kind of point to this. In fact, Paul alludes to the uh, Christian life being like a race several times because that was very common in this culture. But we're going to look here at 1 Timothy chapter 4 because there are some instructions that are given to Timothy uh, and ultimately to the church he was pastoring and to us today on how we can finish well. Now, uh, if you're unfamiliar with 1 Timothy… It was a letter written by Paul to Timothy who was a young pastor in Ephesus at the time. And Ephesus was just full of, like many of the churches in that day, full of false teaching, Uh, some persecution coming into the church, but ultimately uh, people within the church were practicing uh, false teaching, but also uh, people were leaving the church and participating in things in the culture that they shouldn't have been. And so all along in that early church, uh, many of the letters that were written were to combat some of these false beliefs. And so uh, the letter to Timothy here uh, does just that in many ways. Um, Also, if you want to know, If you're thinking about coming to a trivia night in the future, 1 Timothy has (laughs) 1,591 words in it. Uh, If you were a trivia night, that makes total sense. There were several questions that asked, how many words does this book of the Bible have? 1,591, if you want to write it down, uh, in the original Greek uh, in 1 Timothy. But I want to look at 1 Timothy 4, beginning in verse 1. And I want you to look at some of these instructions in dealing with false teachings and talking about how to remain steadfast to Timothy as a pastor, but also to the church, what Paul wrote. Look at beginning in verse 1. Now, the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. They forbid marriage. And demand abstinence from food that God created to be received with gratitude by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, since it is sanctified by the Word of God and by prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, nourished by the words of the faith and the good teaching that you've followed. But have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. For the training of the body has limited benefit. But godliness is beneficial in every way, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. And for this reason, we labor and strive because we put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Father, as we look to your Word this morning and think about what it means to follow you, what it means to finish well, I pray for all of us to, uh, through the power of your Spirit, to become aware of maybe some of those things that are distracting us or causing us to veer off the course you've set before us. Lord, for every one of us who are running this Christian life, we know it can be difficult, but God, help us to follow faithfully. Lord, through your Holy Spirit, speak to us this morning. Help us to apply your word to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, this morning we are looking at the question, asking the question, how do we remain steadfast in a world that... uh, has many things that constantly compete for our attention or, or beliefs that constantly want to, to pull us astray. And how do we finish well? Well, notice how uh, this passage starts. Paul writes, now the Spirit explicitly says, so he's received a prophecy from the Spirit of God saying that in later times some will depart from the faith, Now, this was true then, it's true today. We've seen people who start down the road of following the Lord, and then they depart for whatever reason. In fact, you may remember the parable of the sower that Jesus taught that said that that exact thing would happen, that there would be different types of soils, and and the thorny soil or the rocky soil, those would be the soils that those people look like they're off to a good start and following the Lord, and then eventually just kind of fizzle out and get off course. Particularly, he says here, that some will depart from the faith because they begin to pay attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons that are coming through the people there. He says that's coming through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. So there are false teachings that were um, going uh, to the churches in that day and within the churches in that day trying to lead them astray, and there are still false teachers present today trying to lead us astray, even unintentionally sometimes. They're bought into it themselves because their consciences are seared, or they are flat out lying about some of these things. And Paul is warning about this. In particular, there were a couple of uh, false teachings there that were being promoted within the church. One was forbidding marriage. You'll see that there uh, in verse 3. But also the idea that they shouldn't eat certain foods. And they were saying that they shouldn't participate in these things because they would be more godly, they would be more holy if they abstained from these things. And in some cases, uh, false teachers were actually teaching that you had to abstain from certain things like this to even be saved. Now imagine trying to deal with that in a church of every, where everybody is a new Christian. Everybody's a young believer. And Paul was refuting this and saying, understand, these are false teachings and Paul was refuting this, and we have to be careful not just by looking at Scripture and saying they were dealing with false teaching. We have to be careful of false teachings today. And so if we, have to, if we want to uh, remain steadfast, one of the things that we have to do is we must avoid false teachings. False teachings are everywhere today. You've heard me talk about false teachings before if you've been here long at all. But they can easily uh, lead us off the path of true faithfulness. I was reading an article this week that kind of summarized a few popular false teachings that you've probably encountered either on TV or online somewhere or maybe in a book that you've read, and they summarized these in different categories. And I'm going to describe these a little bit. And you think about in your life if you've encountered these or when you've encountered these, again, maybe online, um, on the radio, maybe on TV or in a book. One they called The false teaching of manifesting. This false teaching, this idea is that if if I just believe something hard enough or say something enough times, that God will make it happen in my life, that I will manifest this thing in my life. And this thing could be success, it could be wealth, it could be whatever it is, health, that you just speak it and almost like dream it and proclaim it, and God will, will manifest it in your life. Another false teaching is the idea that they called emotionalism. And this is the idea that if you are having an encounter with God, that it's not a real or true encounter with the Lord, that that you haven't really truly spent time maybe worshiping the Lord or being with the Lord unless it evokes some kind of like really uh, apparent emotion in your life. Tears, you know, um, maybe having a point of, of uh, just maybe like some sort of a breakdown of some sort. And even within this region, I've heard stories of, of this being taught even within this region that emotionalism is something that we have to strive toward. And if it's not emotional, then it's not of God. Another one is the idea of meology, they called it. And I, I like the, uh, the wording there. Instead of theology, it's meology. It's this idea that God loves you and thinks you're perfect, exactly how you are, and loves you sins and all. Now, you can hear in that, there is some truth in that, but the entirety of it is not true. Yes, God loves us. God cares about, and He wants us to come to Him, sins and all, like He wants us, and, and that's how we have to come, right? But when we come to the Lord, He changes our hearts, He changes our minds to want to follow Him, and as Jesus would tell people, go and sin no more. That's the same call to us when we come to Jesus. One that's very popular is the prosperity gospel. It's the idea that God wants you to have health and wealth and success and prosperity and all of this. And if you just come to Jesus, he'll make all this happen in your life. And when you think about it, I would say, tell that to the early apostles, you know, who all died, for the most part, a martyr's death, who all suffered, to say the least. The early church, I mean, when you talk about health and wealth and prosperity and all this, the early church in many ways were poor. And they had to, to share everything together just to take care of one another because of the persecution that was happening. And let me just say, there, there's nothing wrong with health, wealth, success, all of this. And God may choose to bless you in that way. But listen, God hasn't promised any of that. He's promised that in the, the life to come. He's promised that to us in eternity. And so right here and now, we are called to serve Him Uh, as we are and where we are and those kind of things. And and there are many other beliefs uh, that are wrong, false teachings. And I think ultimately they come from uh, not really having uh, a firm grasp on the Bible or maybe not really caring what the Bible says. A lot of False beliefs come out of just picking and choosing what parts of the Bible that you want to follow. And all of these things we have to be very careful of because they can lead us to unfaithfulness. We have to watch out for false teaching. Now, as you're sitting there this morning, you may be thinking, how in the world do I avoid false teaching when there are so many authors... There are so many people making, you know, Facebook, Instagram reels today, all these videos that just have little one-minute or 30-second sermons in them. You know, how, how do I know for sure if those people are true or not? How do I know when so many of my friends on social media share quotes from different people or quotes from sermons or authors? And in your heart, you're thinking, I want to be faithful, and so I've got to make sure that someone's not leading me astray. How do I know that? Well, second um, aspect of this remaining faithful that we see here in this passage is that if you want to remain steadfast, you not only avoid false teaching, but we have to hold the truth. We have to hold to truth. This is on the opposite end of the spectrum. And when you think about truth, the question comes up, well, what is truth? And while, yes, if, if I'm honest this morning, some of the Bible can be difficult to understand, And there are a few areas that we can agree to disagree on some things. The Bible is absolutely clear on the major things. And absolutely clear on the things that we have to believe. Particularly the things that we have to believe about Jesus. The Bible says clearly that when we look at ourselves, that every single one of us have sinned. Every single one of us cannot stand before a holy God because of our sins. And every single one of us have earned not only death, but hell following. And the Bible tells us that in and of ourselves, there is no amount of good works that we can do. There's nothing that we can do on our own to overcome this. But God did something for us. God sent His Son, Jesus, into the world. was fully God, fully man. Jesus wasn't created. He's always existed. He is the creator, but he became creation. He took upon flesh and came and dwelt among us for 33 years, never sinning, uh, fulfilling the law and completing the law of God perfectly. And the Bible says at the end of his time here on earth that he died. And the reason he died wasn't because he earned it or deserved it. It was because you did. It was because I did. He took the sins of the world upon himself, paid the penalty, paid the punishment for our sin, and he was buried after that, and on the third day he came back to life. This is the truth that the Bible tells us. And after 40 days of walking around the earth, Jesus ascended to heaven, and one day he's coming again, and on that day that he comes again, everybody will face him either as as their judge or as their king, as their savior. That's the truth of the Bible. This is the truth that we have to hold to, and there are many teachings, many ideas that try to lead us astray from that. And if you think about being a Christian in this time of the early church, it was very interesting because there was no, quote-unquote, New Testament. There was no New Testament. You had all of these writings floating around, and those Christians in that time had to discern if this writing that they found or received was Scripture, was of God. They had to discern that through the Holy Spirit, but they also had to rely upon uh, faithful Christians and godly uh, Christians to help lead them in that. And so they were discerning this, and look at verse 6, what Paul encouraged Timothy to do to help these believers in the church. He said, if you point these things out, talking about those false teachings, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus nourished by the words of the faith and the good teachings that you followed, So Paul told Timothy to point these false teachings out to others. And again, Timothy was a pastor in that day and time, but if you think about if Paul were writing to the church, what he would say to the church in that day and time. He would say, listen to those people who are godly around you, who can instruct you in the ways of the truth. You know, he was telling Timothy to point these out, but he would have told the church to listen when he pointed them out. And for all of us today, we have to make sure who we listen to, who we're allowing to speak into our lives, are godly people that we can trust and who wants what's best for us because it's those people who can help actually instruct us on what to do. Within the last three or four weeks... um, There was a particular suburb in Los Angeles who had an uptick in counterfeit money that was being spread around to the businesses. And so the police wanted to give out, and they did give out a warning to the businesses in that area, hey, you've got to be on your guard because in particular in our suburb, in our area, the businesses have been hit with counterfeit money. And so everyone needs to be aware, and they provided some some. Uh, evidence of what that would look like and and some evidence of of places that have been targeted already and they say, you need to be aware and if you hear of this or know of this going on, let us know. And so they provided this uh, news uh, to the business owners in that area. Now you think about being a business owner there, hearing this, you could say, well I I don't know if I'm really going to listen to this or not. Yeah, I don't know if I believe them or not. You could kind of go that direction, or you could say, okay, the police know what they're talking about. They've encountered this already. They know what this counterfeit stuff looks like. They know what the the real money, of course, looks like, and they're trying to help me. And many of the business owners, of course, in that area were heeding their warnings, but when someone you trust, and you come back to this false teaching idea, when someone you trust who is further along in the faith than you provides counsel on truth, versus false teaching and all these kind of things. It's so important to consider it and keep it in mind. But I want to go one step further. You know, many of us listen to people we trust, hopefully godly people. We have, you know, we, we come to, to church and we want to listen to, to sermons and listen to our Bible study leaders and all of those kind of things. I know many of you Um, listen to podcasts, and uh, read books throughout the week, and all of these kind of things, trying to take in some good teaching from different people. But let me tell you, whether it's a sermon, whether it's um, reading a Christian book, or a podcast, or anything else, there is nothing that can replace or should replace your time in the Word. Like, nothing can beat it. Your time in the Word. Now, I want you to think about uh, the time that you spend in the Bible. Like, if you want to know truth, again, it's one thing to hear it from somebody else, but it's another thing to read it yourself. How much time do you actually spend reading the Bible? Now, I've had this conversation with enough people uh, in my ministry to know that one of the things that can be difficult for some people in this idea is you know you'll you'll talk about reading in general and there are some people who just say I just don't like to read I just don't read and so I I don't read the Bible because I just don't read in general and you know I get that idea or I get that thought but if we're honest how many of us say that we don't like to read or say that we don't read but yet we'll spend 10, 15, 30 minutes at a time scrolling through posts and reading updates from people on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram that we want to know the latest gossip or the latest news or find out what their kids were on uh, Halloween night or all these different things. We're scrolling through for quite a few minutes at a time reading and reading and reading and reading. You see, the issue is we read and we consume and we spend time with what we find important, what we found, find valuable. And so what if in your life, in that 10 minutes that you spent scrolling on Facebook, or that 10 minutes you spent in the newspaper, or that 10 minutes you spent doing this or doing that, if you replaced it with 10 minutes of spending time in God's Word? And you're going to spend that time reading something, right? What if you spent some time reading God's Word? Let me encourage you, if you say, Well, I, I struggle with understanding the Bible. Get a Bible and a translation you can understand. All of these things are so important that we practice. If we really want to hold the truth, it's a lot easier to be misled and led astray by false teaching if we don't know what the truth is. We have to hold on to the truth and and know the truth. And if you think about somebody in your life, you likely uh, who's done this, you likely know somebody in your life who has gone astray from the truth, who at one time they were following the Lord and now they've gone astray. And you can probably look to their life and see, oh, yeah, I I see that they did this or did that. We have to be careful that that's not us. We have to be careful to hold on to truth. If we want to remain steadfast, we've got to avoid these false teachings. We've got to hold on to truth. But let me give you one more from this passage. We've got to grow in godliness. We've got to grow in godliness. Sure, we have to avoid false teaching. Yes, we hold on to truth. But if you just know right from wrong and you don't actually live it out, then you're not being faithful. If all we know is what's false and what's true, but we don't do anything with it, then we're not actually being faithful. Growing in godliness is about living every day to be more like Jesus. And I want you to look at how Paul put it here in uh, verse 7 through 10. He says, have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths. That's talking about those false teachings. Rather, train yourself in godliness, And then he uses this analogy that many people in that day and time would have understood. He said, For the training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And then he goes on to say, This saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. For this reason we labor and strive, because we put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Now, when you think about um, working out, training of the body, as he talks about in verse 8, the training of the body. Many people we know today, um, if you look around uh, just in the culture in general, you'll, you probably know quite a few people who maybe go to the gym or who look up to people who go to the gym or who, go, who, uh, who like athletes who train so hard. And all of these people put in hard work, and training. And if you look at verse 10, the laboring and striving is exactly how this becomes in their life. If you want to get physically fit, you have to labor and you have to strive at the gym. And there have been, uh, I would say, more days that when I've gone to the gym that I'm sore after because I've labored and I've strived, and you know, that soreness just makes it like, so tough to go back to the gym, Right? But it's laboring, it's striving. And that's exactly what we do for our physical bodies. And here's what Paul says. As much as we, in our minds, think if we could just be healthy, if we could be physically fit, or if I could just run that 10K race or do this or do that, we should value even more the idea of being spiritually fit. And that's why he says in verse 7 to train yourself in godliness because here's the truth it doesn't matter how healthy you are you cannot stop death think about it you can take all the supplements you want you can work out multiple times a day you can regularly go to the doctor you can have all these checkups and death will still come Now, I'm not saying to neglect your health. We know the physical health is important, but your spiritual health is substantially more important. Substantially. And I want you to think about for a second. If a doctor, if you sat in a doctor's office, and he walked in, and he handed you a book, or she handed you a book, and your doctor said, hey, what you've got going on in in your life right now, in your body right now, this book has the answer to it. And you reading this book will make, and doing what it says will make the difference between life and death for you. How many of us would say, well, I don't like to read. I'm just not a reader. How many of us would say, oh, okay, I'll take it. I'll, I'll just skim through it a little bit. You know, I'll, I'll flip through it. and Maybe if something catches my eye, I might read it. No, chances are you would spend as much time as it takes reading it and rereading it and rereading it, maybe even memorizing it, so that way as you go throughout your day, you can make sure you're making the best decisions for your health. Now again, we're talking about physical fitness. If we would do that to preserve our physical health, why wouldn't we take it even more seriously when it comes to our spiritual health? Training and working toward godliness in our lives. God's Word, knowing it, Holding on to it, doing what it says, growing in godliness, that is really what makes the difference between life and death. This right here. And not just in this life, but as the scriptures say here, in the life to come. So, this morning, as you're thinking about your life, do you want to be faithful to the finish? Yes, you have to avoid false teaching and hold on to truth and 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 train and grow in godliness, all of these things. But I want you to stop for just a moment and think back to the racer we talked about, the runner we talked about in the very beginning. How did the runner get off course? What was it that caused her to lose in the end? Her eyes went from being focused on the finish line or maybe never were focused on the finish line to being focused on the motorcycle. Her eyes were not focused on the ultimate goal, the ultimate reason that she had trained in the first place, the ultimate reason she even entered that race in the first place. Her eyes got off of that and onto something else. You see, when our eyes as Christians get off the goal which is Christ and godliness, and, and living a life that honors him, when our eyes get off that goal and onto anything else, it's very easy to veer off course. Philippians 3, 13 through 14, Paul wrote in particular about the same idea. He says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. Talking about the prize that's at the end. He says, I don't consider myself to have that yet, but one thing I do, Forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. If you want to be faithful, your eyes have to be fixed on Jesus, fixed on God's word, following what God wants you to do. And so I want to ask you this morning are you being faithful? Where are you in that race today? Are you on course? Maybe for your life you've never been on the course that God wants you to be on, and this morning, uh, as we have our time of commitment in just a moment, you need to come and say, I need to get on the path God wants for my life. I need to give my life over to the Lord. Maybe for you, Christian, you've been running and running and running, but as you stop and look at the direction you're running, you realize that you've been running off course, and you need to get back on the course God has for you. As we have this time of commitment, As God is leading each one of you, maybe maybe there's an area of your life you need to come and pray about. Maybe there's an area of your life that you need to come and confess to the Lord. Whatever it is, let's make sure that we are on course, ready to be faithful to the very end. Father, we thank you so much that we can know your direction that you want for our lives, that we can know uh, your word. Lord, we're thankful that we can have your Holy Spirit to lead and guide us. But Lord, we know as we go throughout this life that there are times that we just get off course. We go our own way or or just think we're doing things that we should, but we actually aren't. And Lord, this morning, as we've encountered your Word, I pray through your Spirit that you will lead us to get back in the direction that we need to go. Maybe there's somebody here this morning, Lord, that That they are realizing for the first time that they need you, and they need you to go your way instead of their own. Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they repent and trust Jesus. Lord, for those of us who have been running, maybe for years, help us to stop and actually look at the direction our lives are heading. Lord, we want to be faithful, so help us to be that. Be with our time of commitment. May we be sensitive to your spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.